Great, thanks guys. So we're um, continuing our journey. We've been kind of on a bit of a journey traveling with Jesus around parts of Galilee from Mark's gospel. Uh, And as we've already seen, uh, Mark in his gospel, in his uh, book about Jesus, tells us all about him, who Jesus is what he's done, how he can make a real impact in our lives. And it's interesting, the very first phrase of Mark's gospel is this. The beginning of Jesus, the beginning of the gospel, that means good news of Jesus, the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God. And you know, one of those words up there, it's actually the very fifth word in the original uh, version, in the Greek version, can present a problem, probably more than one, but one of them. And it's the word Messiah, because the Messiah, or the Christ, was the Jewish people's expected king. They were expecting God to do something again. God had promised that he would do something again, that he would get involved in their history again. And as Jesus comes as the king, he's making it really clear in all kinds of ways, as we saw the things he said, the things he does, does the person he was, all kinds of ways he's saying, I'm the one that God's promised. God is on the move again. The kingdom of God, God's rule has begun, started, it's kicked off as it were. God has broken into history again. And that was what it's all about. Now, you might be thinking, that's great. That's really good. That really is good news. But what if you're not Jewish? What if you're not part of the Jewish people? Where does that leave you? It kind of creates, because Jesus has come as the Messiah, it says. Jesus has come as the Christ, the Son of God. Well, if you're not Jewish, you're not expecting a Messiah. You've got no idea about what a Messiah might be. Is it a bit of a problem in it? It creates like kind of ins and outs, you know. If you're in the Jewish people, woohoo, the Messiah's arrived. If you're not, well, you're on the outside looking in. Could that be a problem? I don't know. Think about it. Let me tell you a story. I remember uh, back in oh, back in the day, in 1979, so it was quite a long time ago, uh, a Christian event began in, in this country which be, was very um, influential and became like the, the key place to go if you wanted you know, great worship and great praise and great Bible teaching and great kind of festival. And it was called Spring Harvest. It still goes on. It's not quite as big as it used to be because lots of other events have kind of come as well. But do you remember those early days, those early heady days? And I I happened to be there, certainly, I believe, in 1980. And uh, I was there in 1980 working with uh, uh, the organization I worked with. There was an exhibition, and you could put up a stand and tell people all about the stuff you were doing. I worked for UCCF then, and uh, that's uh, what I did. And while I was there... I noticed something walking around um, as I walked across Prestatin, uh, which was a really bleak and terrible place then. I don't know whether it's improved. Not Prestatin, I meant the, the holiday camp that it was Pontin. I mean, Prestatin might be like that, but I can't really remember. But the holiday camp was truly terrible. Uh, but there was, and it was really cold and windy because it always happened at springtime, so called English spring, you know. And, uh, 
you know, but I did notice that there was a kind of, there was a loud, there was a kind of room there uh, where people who were like on the team or like the speakers, they could go to this room and there was coffee there and, and you know, you could see it to start with and then afterwards they put up big bits of paper so you couldn't look in. And I was just on the exhibition and, and like everyone else, I wasn't allowed, we weren't allowed in there and I felt, I felt a bit left out, you know. I felt like I was out. Well, a few, a few years later, I got much more involved and I ended up working on the team at Spring Harvest and then I could go in the lounge. It was, we'd moved on to Skegness, which was much nicer, and lots of other things. Actually, I even had a radio, if you know about those things at Spring Harvest. Although I was number 31 out of 32 on the list of radio people. But anyway, but I felt I was really in. Before I'd been out, and I felt, wow, I'm in. I could go into that wonderful lounge. And being a Jew and knowing that God had promised you a Messiah was special. You were in. And you knew other people who were out. And you know, you really didn't mind that. Because you were in and they were out. And actually that did become a problem in the very early days of the church. And you can read all about it in the book of Acts how they resolved it in Acts chapter 12 to Acts 18. Now, who's in and who's out is a bit of an issue in our country, isn't it? Winners, sorry, I don't want to, I'm not going to mention it again. (laughs) But winners and losers, I'm not just talking about Brexit, but you know, in education or in wealth, or in background, or in social status. And many of these things are just a matter of luck, really. If you happen to be born into it, you're okay. If you're not, you're outside. And you know, we love being in when we're in, don't we? And uh, we really don't mind that people are out sometimes. But if we're out... It can be a bit of a difficulty. Now let's get back to Jesus' time. He's the Messiah. So does that just add to the in-out problem? Does Jesus have favorites? That's our question for Mark's gospel today. Did he have favorites then? Does he have favorites now? What is his approach to what you might call the outsider? Now we need to know this, don't we? Because if we're Jesus' people, if we're the church, if we belong to him, we're meant to be living his kind of life. So how he treats people should be reflected in the way we treat people, shouldn't it? We're meant to look like him. So our approach to the outsider really matters. It mattered then and it matters now. So how are we meant to do that? Let's see how Jesus faces it with his disciples. Does he have favorites? Well, let's look, look to start with in, I don't know, my Bible's open in Ezekiel. That's a strange place to be. It's Mark chapter 7, and um, I'll give you a page number. If 1010, so you were there before me. 1010, 1010, if you're using the Bibles uh, nearby. And I want us to start by reading this first little bit from verse 24 to verse 30. It says that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. 
He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So let's see where we're going then. See, first thing we see this is that trusting Jesus is for the outsider. Okay? Jesus, it says here, is mo- he moves away. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 15 gives us a parallel uh, account of this. Matthew has a bit more, as we've seen before. Luke is very much edited highlights. He wants to make one point and, and kind of move on. Matthew gives us a mo- bit more detail. And Matthew says Jesus withdrew. And he withdraws to an area uh, with his disciples a few miles north, about 20 miles north of Galilee. Now, this is not a Jewish area. He's gone to a Gentile area. Do you remember a couple of chapters back, before the feeding of the 5,000, he said to his disciples, let's go away and have a rest. (laughs) And remember that didn't happen because the crowd came and then there was a storm on the lake and then they went back and then there were loads of people. And then, as you saw last week, the Pharisees came and had an argument with them. Well, maybe now... Jesus is going to this more kind of remote place, this place out of Jewish territory into the Gentile area. He wants it to be a secret. Maybe he's at last taking his disciples to get the rest that they were hoping to have. We don't know for sure, but we do see from the passage that they're staying in a house. So they'd obviously got hold of somewhere to stay. Maybe they're just having a a little bit of holiday or a treat. Who knows? But that's that's where they are. But someone finds them, it says. A lady with a daughter whose daughter is suffering from a kind of demonic uh, oppression in her life that was uh, manifesting itself in uh, presumably different forms of of sickness or, or, or destructive behavior. We don't really know. But the woman is desperate. She falls at Jesus' feet, it says. That's a desperate kind of, you know, uh, sometimes in uh, uh, Eastern cultures, if people, they'll, they'll kind of grab your, you know, touch your feet as a sign of their desperation. Uh, and this woman falls at Jesus' feet and, and, and she's desperate. She begs him, it says, to help her. Now, there's, now Matthew's version tells us there's a little bit of a gap in Mark between verses 26 and 27. And, and don't go to it now, but you can look at it later. Uh, Matthew tells us them that before that, uh, she's already found them and, and asked Jesus, but he's been silent. And so she'd been following the disciples around, and the disciples had once again told Jesus to send her away. Disciples are quite good at telling Jesus to send people away, if you notice. And she's a non-Jewish woman. And Jesus, in that conversation with his disciples, and then later to the woman, says very clearly, he, he says, look, I've come first to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember that phrase, the lost sheep of Israel. It's in Matthew. And that's what the disciples are very much into. They're saying, you know, this woman, she, where is, she's a Gentile. She's not part of us. She's an outsider. Send her away. 
And that kind of explains Jesus' comments to her. He's kind of expressing the disciples' view. And he kind of talks to her in, in, in a picture. And he, he says, look, he, he says, it's like a family. He said, it's like a family where the children need to eat bread. And the children in the family, they eat their bread first. He said, you don't give the children's food to the dogs. Sounds a bit harsh. Especially if you know that one of the kind of um, abuse words that the Jews had for the Gentiles was that they're dogs. They would often talk about Gentile dogs and probably spit on the floor when they did so. That was their, the Jewish normal attitude to non-Jewish people at the time. I'm sure, it's not so now, but at the time, that's how it was. And that does seem harsh. But if you look carefully you notice that Jesus has kind of dropped in something else. You see, in the original, he doesn't call them dogs. He calls them little dogs, puppies. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, like in a lot of places, we Brits, we love our dogs, don't we? On the whole, generally, we won't look at anyone in particular, but we do. Not all of us love dogs as much as all of the rest of us. Some of the rest of us do, but that's the case. But in other cultures, like in Palestine at the time, dogs were, you know, grown-up dogs were for outside. You wouldn't have a, grown, a, a dog in your, a fully grown dog in your house. They were for seeing people off or whatever they were doing, you know, if you had them. Uh, you wouldn't have them inside the house. But you would have puppies. They were little ones. So the little ones would be part of the family till they grew up and got thrown out outside. And Jesus says, don't throw your food to, not, not outside to the other dogs, but to the little dogs. He also says to the woman, the children eat first. He doesn't say it's for the, chil- it's for the, for the children not the little dogs. And the woman, she grabs that, doesn't she? Because she, she sees what he's saying. She said, yeah, Jesus. Yes, Lord. She acknowledges him as Lord. She said, but, but even the puppies can eat what's on the floor that comes off the children's table. She's got it. She's picked it up. She's seen that Jesus is actually kind of making her an offer. And she says, Jesus, it's okay, surely. And Jesus says, For that answer, and in Matthew's gospel it says, that is faith. Because you've seen what I'm saying, because you're still asking me, because you're trusting me, your daughter is healed. And that's what happens. Jesus is impressed by her faith. Because you've said this, says Mark. Matthew says Jesus drew attention to her faith. Because you've got what I'm saying, because you see the kind of Messiah I am, then it's done. The little girl is healed. So what do we see here? We see here that Jesus wants people outside to trust him, to ask him, to find out what he can do. And he wants it so much when this woman finds him, he even leaves a little trail. He teaches the, the disciples a good lesson in the meantime by kind of saying what they, he thought, but he says what they wanted him to say, but he leaves something else that the woman can say, yes, Jesus, but he says, okay, you're believing me, you're trusting me, it's done. 
Jesus responds to her trust and confidence in him. It's not, you see, about who's in and who's out. It doesn't matter that she's not Jewish. It doesn't matter that she's, you know, from, you know, doesn't know anything about the Messiah. That's not the main thing. Just like last week we saw that who, what, what food, what Jewish food laws you keep makes no difference whatsoever. It's what's in here that matters. Remember, that's what Jesus said last week in the passage. Jesus is saying that to, that it doesn't matter whether you're a, a Jew or Gentile. If you're trusting me, that's faith. That's what matters most. Anyone who asks him, anyone who responds to him, anyone who trusts in him, that is all that matters. It doesn't matter whether they're in or out or who they are. Now, do we believe that? Do we really believe that ourselves? Do we believe it enough to ask him ourselves? If you feel you're out, you're not yet a Christian, or you don't know whether you you can ever make it in, because you see these Christians, you think, I'll never be like them. Well, Do you believe that Jesus wants you to reach out to him enough to actually do so? Because the passage is saying he wants us to, whoever we are, in or out, where we're from, he wants us to reach out to him and find him. And what about those of us who are in? Do we see that what matters is not who's in or who's out, but who Jesus is, what Jesus gives, how Jesus can change the lives of other people, just as he changed my life and yours. That's what matters most. That's the first thing. Let's see what happens next in chapter 7, and let's go to verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, sorry, Tyre, and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, I think that's how you pronounce it, that's in the local language, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So we've seen that trusting Jesus is for the outsider. Here, wonder and worship is for the outsider or is for outsiders because Jesus and the disciples they leave the area they were in then they head not back to the kind of Jewish part of Galilee where he was before uh, where Jesus kind of um, grew up and where he'd been ministering in Capernaum he goes to an area on the eastern side of the lake which again is mainly uh, populated by outsiders by Gentile people it's actually, do you remember the man who was healed of all those demons, you know, when, when Jesus went across the lake and that very exciting story, the man who was cutting himself and ripping chains and going wild. Well, remember that man, well, he was, he went and he was told to go and tell everyone about what had happened to him. And the place he went to was the Decapolis, an area of 10 big towns or reasonably sized towns in that area. And this is where Jesus now is. Again, 
with the Gentile people. And again, we have a similar thing. Here's a desperate group of people desperately begging Jesus to help this man. He's got an unusual problem. Something, the way it's described, the experts tell us, it's not like someone who's been born deaf and dumb, but something has happened to him that he can no longer hear, his hearing's gone, and his speech has completely shot. We don't know why, but that was his problem. And Jesus takes this man away from the crowd, so away from all the uh, bustle and hustle. He reassures him with signs. He, he kind of touches, you know, if you're deaf, you don't know what's going on, you can't hear. So he kind of touches his ears to help him to see that he's going to help his ears. He, he touches his tongue, or he, he does something with his tongue. And uh, he, he looks up to heaven, he speaks, and the man can hear and talk. And although he tells the people around to, not to tell anyone, they don't take any notice, they tell everybody. That's kind of how crowds sometimes are. Verse 37, look at verse 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. Does that ring a bell? Ever heard that phrase before? It's what happened to the disciples on two different occasions when Jesus stilled the storm, when he walked into, across the water. It said again, the disciples were overwhelmed. They were utterly and completely amazed. This is now the reaction of the crowd, the Gentile crowd. And you know what? That there in verse, right at the end of verse 37, he, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear. And the mute speak. And actually they're unwittingly quoting a bit of Isaiah. In Isaiah 35 verse 5, we can look at it later, there was a promise of what God would do when the Messiah came. Your God will come to save you, said Isaiah. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the mute's tongue shout for joy. And these Gentiles are kind of quoting Isaiah, the Old Testament promise. They're saying, we're amazed, we're wondering, they're kind of praising. So this worship and this wonder, this promise of what the Messiah will do, is it just for insiders like the disciples? Is it just, just for the people who were on the inside like the Jewish people expecting their Messiah? No. It's for outsiders too. What God wants is for everyone. Not just us, or people like us, or people who, you know, we kind of let in gradually until they are like us. It's God's welcome for everyone. For outsiders. Now, are we open to this? Are we happy to see that when it happens with people who are a bit different to us, who are not yet Christians, people who are, we might think, outsiders? Or do we wait until they become exactly like us before we get with them? Well, how are, we, how are they going to get there if we don't go with them as God's people, as those living the Jesus way? We've just got to realize how much God wants to bless those outside, haven't we? Not just us. That's how they come inside. And we can walk with them on that journey 
Responding to Jesus, it's more important about being in the in-group or the out-group. And again, we see Jesus' compassion with this man, like with the woman, enabling faith, bringing his rescue, bringing healing. Wonder and worship are for the outsiders. Does Jesus have favorites? No. He wants it for everyone. Let's look at the third little group. The third incident. This is the beginning of chapter 8. See what happens next. During those days, another large crowd gathered. This is verse 1. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? At least they didn't say send them away, which is what they did last time. <laughs> His disciples answered, but I've uh, said that. Verse 5, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. So he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he'd sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. Sorry, that's no, we finished at verse 10. That's next week's passage. They came to the region of, of Dalmanutha. Third thing we see, Jesus provides a feast for the outsider. Now, this is very much like the feeding of the 5,000, isn't it? Very similar. See the, notes, see the similarities but they're both here in Mark's gospel. Mark has access to Peter, almost certainly. That's where the source came from. And, and some people think, well, it's the same thing. But it isn't. There are some very key differences, as we shall see. Again, Jesus is in a Gentile area. And I think that's part of the key. It's the reason he's doing it. Again, now, by now he's finished his rest, as it were, but now they've moved on and they're in this area of the, um, perhaps around the Decapolis, we don't exactly know where that is, but on the Gentile side of the Lake of Galilee, we know that. And a load of, of these people have been with them for a number of days. He's been teaching them. Um, Matthew tells us he healed them. Uh, they, there were lots of miracles as well. Jesus had been with them. And he tells his disciples, I've got, I'm, I'm, I have compassion for them. Now, he said the same thing previously with the 5,000. Although in that, on that occasion, this is one of the differences. He said, I have compassion for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, do you remember what he said to the disciples about when the Canaanite woman came? He said, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. So again, Jesus, it doesn't say these people are like sheep without a shepherd because they're not Israelis, they're, they're not Jewish, they're Gentiles. But his compassion for the Gentiles is just the same as it was for the, the ones he described as sheep without a shepherd, the Israelites. Again, does he have favorites? No, he wants Gentiles, he wants non-Israelites to know him. And I wonder whether um, that's why the disciples were a bit at a loss. 
you, you think, well, why didn't this, you know, why were the disciples going through this again? Why didn't they remember that only a few weeks or less before they'd had 5,000 people and Jesus had fed them? He'd done this miracle and it had been distributed. Why didn't they think it would happen again? Why did they go through, oh, where can we get the money to buy the thing? I wonder whether it was because the disciples thought, he's not going to do that for the Gentiles, is he? So only speculation. Because when Jesus fed the 5,000 Jews at Passover time, you can read about it in John 6 as well as the other Gospels, it's quite clear that he's doing something that meant something to the Jewish mindset at two levels. Number one, remember in the Exodus, God fed people bread from heaven in the desert. And actually, if you go to John's gospel, there's a huge kind of argument or discussion afterwards with the Jewish people about Jesus feeding people in the desert and that being a sign. Is he the new Moses? Is he the Messiah that's coming? Well, feed us in the desert. They actually Jesus had just exactly done that only uh, uh, you know, an hour or so before. So that's one connection. But there's another connection as well. The Old Testament had a picture in different prophecies that when the, the Messiah came, it would be like a great banquet he would provide. And he, you know, it, it was a picture of how fantastic it would be to have the king and be his people, you know, be in with him, you know. Enjoying all the great banquet, you know. It's like, again, I suppose that feeling you get when you've been invited to the um, uh, wedding reception, uh, uh, but other people are invited to the party afterwards. You know that kind of feeling. They're, they're in, we're in the main banquet, but oh, we, the, the other people are coming later. Maybe it's only me that thinks like that. I don't really think like that, but you know what I mean. It's that kind of thing. They thought, we're in, we're in, it's great, the Messiah banquet, yeah, fantastic. But except Isaiah in Isaiah 25, does actually say that this feast, this wedding reception they thought was just for them, was going to be a feast for all peoples. Anyone who came to know Jesus, who came to know the king, was welcome to the banquet. And I don't think the disciples had got that, and Jesus is helping them get that by feeding at least 4,000 Gentile people just the way he fed the Jewish ones a few uh, days or weeks or however long it was earlier. Out of his compassion, Jesus feeds them. And he involves the disciples again, just like he did before. And the feast, who's it for? It's for outsiders. It doesn't matter whether you're inside or outside. Jesus offers us food. He offers himself as bread from heaven. We're all united in our need to be fed by him. And we equally come, whoever we are, in or out or whoever we are, we can come and receive what he offers as our king. And Jesus can bring us together around what matters most. And as we read the rest of the New Testament, that's what happens. Jesus is the Messiah and king for everyone. There are no favorites, all who trust him. All who wonder and worship him, the true Lord, all who receive the bread of life he offers, all of them. There are no favorites. Sure, it went to Israel first, but it was always for everyone. He is the king for everyone. 
And it took the New Testament church a while to work that out. But eventually, they got it. And this is Jesus, our king. The king for everyone. And we're his people. Our lives are meant to be shaped by him, aren't they? So we should be living like we believe that he really is for everyone. And what does that mean? It means we're looking for where he's working. We expect that. That's why we see our out-of-church life here in our, our fellowship as our front lines, where we want to be living this stuff out so that people who don't yet know him, people on the outside, can see him in us, in what we do, what we say, who we are. It's why we want to be able to invite people so people who are not yet part of it can be. And as we do that, we're going in line with what he does, who he is. So we welcome and we shouldn't be waiting for people to come become like us before we welcome them. Because he welcomes everyone. There's no in or out in that sense with him. Do you know there was a two story? There was once a new believer, new Christian, had a powerful experience of Jesus. But the people in the church didn't believe it. In fact, they wouldn't accept him, turned him down. Even the person who first heard that he'd come to Jesus didn't believe it. Even though Jesus himself told him. Do you know who I'm talking about? The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. It's not a new problem, so don't feel too bad about it. But it didn't stop there. So let's not put lines around who we think could be in or out with us. Jesus doesn't have favorites. There are no outsiders for him. He grows faith in people we might think are outsiders. Because trust in Jesus is not just for insiders. Jesus works in the life of people outside, prompting wonder and worship. So don't rule people out. Don't think, as I sometimes think, oh, they never want to know. <laughs> they're like not, yeah, they're not in a million years. Are they going to be interested in Jesus? Because they're, they're kind of outside. They're different. Don't rule people out. Don't think they'll never accept an invitation to something. Jesus has a feast for everyone. And outsiders are welcome. You know, we knew someone uh, years ago in our old church who, actually before she became a Christian, her husband became a Christian before her. And he was a Christian and she was coming along. And she described her experience during that period as, like a child with my nose pressed up against the window of a sweet shop. It's a very powerful expression. If you're like that, come in. There's a door. There's a way to know Jesus. You are welcome. He offers his involvement in your life. The bread of his banquet. The forgiveness that he has purchased for us by dying on the cross. Everyone is welcome. And if you know someone who's, you think, got their nose against the window, don't ignore them. Don't hide the door because you don't really think they fit in very well. Get alongside them. Say, there's a way in. It's Jesus. Everyone is welcome. It's good news. Jesus is the Messiah, and that's not just a Jewish thing. He's for everyone. There are no favorites. 
And now, as I've been saying, as Christians, we are his people. We're meant to look like him. We're like working models of this stuff, aren't we? Or we should be, or we can be. People don't have to stay on the outside. Faith, trusting him, being amazed by what he can do, receiving the feast he offers. It's there for everyone. So as we close, let's think, how are we going to live like that this week? Well, don't think of yourself as kind of in with Jesus and everyone who's not like us as Christians are out. Don't think of like the in and the out. And that's the end of it. It was a bit quaint. We don't do it so much now. And it's a little bit cheesy. But there was a time, because we as Christians often talk about non-Christians, don't we? We say, oh, is he a Christian? No, he's a non-Christian. And we kind of divide people up. And there was a little kind of time when people used to say, we won't, we'll ban the term non-Christian and call people not yet Christians. Which I think is a little bit cheesy in some ways. But it does make the point, doesn't it? That it's not Christians and non-Christians. We need to live our lives like there are people who need to know Jesus. He wants them to know we live like that. Let's pray for eyes to see what Jesus is doing. Outside of people you know, who are fully committed on Christians like us, let's look for what Jesus is doing. Uh, just working, drawing, prompting people outside. And let's uh, pray for opportunities to say something. Let's pray for the courage to take those opportunities. And let's pray for wisdom to know what to say when those opportunities come along. I'm going to hand back to the band in a moment, but let's say, I think it's the band. I lost my order of service, but as you come, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you see us all as in need of all you give us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the king for everyone. Lord, forgive us that we kind of put barriers around ourselves and and treat other people like um, we're, we're better than them or we know more or something. Help us to see that there's no in and out with you. You're, you want us to live open, welcoming lives. You want us to share all that you've given us with other people. You don't want us to keep it to ourselves, kind of locked away as a privilege, but as something we can share joyfully with other people lead us in that and show us just the joy of doing that we don't want to kind of be guilt driven or driven by the wrong things but lord help us to rejoice in our king who welcomes everyone and receive just by your spirit that welcoming sense of 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 what you want in people that we meet all the time lord make us more like jesus we pray in his name amen amen Thank you, John.